Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are talking to Dr. Cheryl Cookie. She is a professor at Purdue University who studies the intersections of sport, gender, culture, and media. But we're talking about her because she wrote a column this week that went completely viral and earned her a tidal wave of hate and vitriol from the fascistic right wing on questions of transgender athletes. She wrote a piece called Leah Thomas's NCAA championship performance gives women's sports a crucial opportunity. And she writes, anyone who cares about the advancement of sports and women's sports in particular should celebrate her win. I'm so glad Cheryl Cookie's going to talk to us about her column and the uproar it caused and uh, give her the chance to speak about uh, about what she's been through the last week because it's it's been something else. No joke. Um, Also, I've got some choice words about why I believe the tactical silence around Brittany Griner is just not working. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards. I've also got uh, Kaepernick Watch and more. But first, let's talk to Cheryl Cookie. So, Professor Cookie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very nicely um, for, for, on this uh, lovely Saturday. First, I just yeah. wanted to ask you, um, just to start, h- how did this column come about? I mean, wh- why did you feel the imperative to write something? And how did you make the connection with NBC News? Like, h- how did this come to be? Yeah, so I had um, a, an editor at NBC Think reach out to me a few weeks ago um, and asked if I'd be interested uh, they were looking for um, someone to write on, you know, sort of gender, sport, culture, and those intersections. And uh, this was sort of in the lead up to the Super Bowl. So I wrote a piece about NFL cheerleaders um, and the incredible, uh, you know, low wages, um, uh, hostile work environment they face, sexual harassment, and so on. Uh, and and so kind of just developed a relationship with NBC Think um, there and and kind of pitched a couple other stories. Uh, this particular piece, though, I, I was interested in writing uh, in part because um, my colleague and I, Dunya Antunievich, who's at the University of Minnesota, she and I just published a book. Uh, and and if I may, may do a sort of shameless uh, plug Please. here, the, the the title of the book is called uh, Serving Equality feminism, uh, media, and women's sports. And, you know, some of the things that we've been thinking about are sort of like the ways in which we celebrate firsts in our society and the kind of cultural and media narratives and, and network narratives that sort of um, uh, come, to about, uh, come about when we talk about firsts. And, you know, reading the headlines and hearing about uh, Leah Thomas as the, the first trans woman to win a D1 uh, NCAA championship, I was just uh, struck by the fact that it seemed that there was so little conversation around her, um, you know, as a, as a first, right, the kind of celebratory narratives that we might see, um, uh, typically see in some of the media coverage. And so um, I, I pitched the idea and it, it tracked. And so I wrote the piece. And I think the other kind of dimension of all this as well uh, Dave, is that, you know, I, kind of as a scholar, I've just been really interested in questions around equality in women's sports. I've advocated for equality in women's sports. 
Um, I, I've been sort of grappling with this idea of, you know, how do we sort of reconcile as a society the um, fact that sports are sex segregated, yet we we have these calls to equality, right? And so in my mind, those are kind of uh, two sort of competing uh, ideas or positions that are in tension with one another. Um, and, and how do we reconcile those? And I saw a lot of those kind of questions coming about as I was I was thinking through this particular cultural moment. Wow. Um, so so you wrote this column, uh, Professor, and, and it's, it, it, you know, it's a an argument that I think is really important. It's an argument that's not out there um, and hasn't been out there um, in, in certainly not the mainstream media and even um, on, on the blogosphere or anything like that, like this idea that Leah Thomas is good for sports, that we should challenge ideas about uh, sex segregation and what it means and, and even just have a discussion about what it means. Um, and that Leah Thomas uh, this is a moment that should be celebrated, and instead it's one, you know, just wrapped in controversy and attacks. Um, it was a bold column. Uh, I thought it was terrific. Um, but I'm curious about what the response has been for you broadly. Um, give us negative and positive. Like, what's it been like for you since the column dropped? Yeah, uh, it's been it's been quite a roller coaster, I will say. Uh, uh, when I was writing the piece, my spouse was like, oh, you're going to get some email. And, you know, I, I, I've done, you know, some interviews and kind of been in, in the public uh, uh, conversations around sport and gender. And, you know, every now and then you get an email here or there. And so that's sort of what I was anticipating. I, I think there was um, a kind of maybe naivete uh, on my part in terms of the response um, and the, the kind of vitriolic, hateful um, responses that I received, I think in part, be, in large part because of the topic, but also I think in terms of the way that the conversation got taken up by some pretty um, uh, conservative or, or right-leaning um, media organizations. And so I was receiving, I think I've gotten um, with, within the first week of it being published about 300 emails uh, maybe I think two or three of those were positive. Um, the rest were, um, were negative and it, not just like, I disagree with your ideas or, you know, your arguments, have you considered this particular perspective, but just blatantly, you know, kind of, um, um, uh, making accusations that I'm mentally ill um, that I am, you know, um, messages using the R word, um, uh, and I'm not referring to the Washington franchise, but the other R word, um, you know, claims that I are um, uh, calls for me to be fired from Purdue. Um, I don't know science. I'm not a feminist. Um, all kinds. I mean, I could go on and on. I don't want to necessarily give, um, you know, amplify those those voices of hate. Um, you know, social media, I'm not really very active on social media to begin with, but I see that as part of my job. Um, and so certainly I think in response to, or sort of my reaction to some of the emails that I was receiving is if this is what people are sending me on email, I can't even imagine what's happening on social media. Um, but you know, like the uh, curiosity killed the cat. I, I took a quick peek every now and then and I'm like, okay, that's it's not, a, not much better there. So, you know, if there are positive conversations that are happening, I'm sure they're happening. Um, people are more likely to speak out when they're angry um, or, you know, they, they um, have a sort of bone to pick with you as opposed to saying like, yeah, great job, right? We customer service, right? You only hear from the customers that aren't satisfied, so to speak. So um, it was mostly, it was mostly uh, negative, mostly um, hate filled. And, you know, I, I want to just say here too, Dave, and I think this is really important for your listeners to, to um, hear and for me to say is uh, you know, I want to be clear about my kind of identities and social location. I am a white cisgender woman um, and, uh, you know, occupying a number of different uh, spaces of privilege, uh, you know, as a, a, a university professor and 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 so on. And uh, if if I received that kind of hate for just saying something as simple as we should celebrate an accomplishment in sport. Right. Because that's really at the end of the day what we're talking about here mm -hmm. um, and that I'm you know, raising some questions about, you know, can we have equality in a sex segregated 
social and cultural institution, right? If that's if 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 that kind of hate is directed toward me, what are the lived experiences of of trans people um, in, in this culture? What what kind of um, you know uh, transphobia, um, other forms of discrimination, hate? Um, what you know? What is it like for them to to sort of move through the world, right? Um, and, and so I think that's really important for us to really think about in this conversation is is sort of um, what does it mean to center the experiences of trans athletes? I don't claim to know those experiences. I'm not suggesting that somehow what I experience is anything like that, um, but I think it does provide a window into um, some some really important considerations um, that we should have in mind uh, when we're moving forward on this issue. And I think the unfortunately, the mainstream discourse has centered the, the experiences of cisgendered athletes in ways that have really distorted the conversation and also rendered invisible um, the, the, the lived experience um, and, the, and the challenges and the, the very um, you know, realities of being uh, a trans athlete in this space. Yeah, and it's interesting because you, you're. I, I think you're totally right to say that it sheds light or a window on what it must like to be trans. I, I would put even a further point on that to say it gives a window about what it's like to be trans right now at this moment in 2022, when there is clearly a very well-funded effort that they want to take to all 50 states to yep. erase trans people. And yep. this, this is the cause du jour of the right wing. And so like writing this, that's why I thought writing, when you write in that column, you, you really, to your credit, put your chin out because, you know, this isn't even 2021 or 2020, like this particular moment is particularly perilous as we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, Dave, and I think that's a, a, a great point too, that, you know, what's happening on a, on a state level with some of the anti-trans bills and, um, you know, I, I, I don't claim to be necessarily an expert in this, space um but i think what what it's the um the article and the response and sort of the broader conversations that we're having right that while we're talking about policies and eligibility criteria for either you know olympic athletes or uh collegiate athletes right these are kind of the elite sports that get a lot of the media attention right and so the focus is often on those athletes or those policies or you know those issues but certainly that trickles down to the high school level, the youth level, right? And so this, you know, while the, while the story itself was about, you know, one athlete, um, I think it, it's, uh, it, it really can shed light into, you know, these sort of larger challenges as you're pointing to in this kind of moment where, um, you know, the uh, conservatives have kind of latched onto um, you know, this issue of, of trans inclusion in sports as a kind of cultural wedge issue, uh, which I think is, is, is unfortunate. And I, I believe there might be a political scientist. I'm trying to get in, in contact with them. I have some connections. Um, but I think there's a political scientist that's doing some research. Because one of the things that I'm really curious about, Dave, is, you know, how many of these um, legislatures or uh, politicians are really concerned with women's sports? Are they concerned about the actual issues um, that are facing uh, women athletes today? If we're going to talk about threats to women's sports, we should be talking about the lack of funding, the lack of access and opportunities, we should be talking about the lack of resources, the disparities in terms of uh, media attention and focus. Um, we should be talking about the lack of um, women in decision-making and uh, leadership positions within sports organizations. Those are the issues that we should be focused on, right? And so unless you are, unless your politics align with a kind of broader equality for women in sports, I personally take issue and question your motivations, right? And I think this, you know, I'm not saying anything that's like mind blowing here, right? But I think that's a really important point here. Like what, what is really at stake and what is really the concern and how is this, um, this issue that affects real people's lives getting 
um, uh, mobilized in a way to just advance a particular kind of uh, political agenda. And, and that, to me, I think is just really unfortunate. Now, Professor, one of the things that we've been talking about on this show is this, um, this, this I would call it like a tragic alliance uh, between several very notable uh, cisgender women in sports and the really fascistic anti-trans right wing as they block yeah. together to keep trans women out of sports. And, and a lot of these uh, cisgender women, they describe themselves as liberal politically. They say that they're for trans rights in every sphere except for sports. And yet they're blocking with people who are clearly not going to be satisfied with sports as their only, uh, as their only hill uh, when it comes to trans erasure. Um, and that, that that's the, the the greatest tragedy of all is that they're facilitating something that's I think truly truly mind-blowingly evil um did, were, was any of the response you got from any of those women or was it exclusively from the hard right yeah you know I think that I mean the the responses were coming from all across I think the sort of demographic makeup right so this wasn't this wasn't just i don't i didn't get the sense that this was just kind of the uh, the fringe of of a particular uh political party or movement um i think there were certainly a number of, of people who were emailing who were saying that you know that they were very concerned um about the future of women's sports and uh many of them were um uh, you know, accusing me of, or at least the piece, um, but I can't, you know, I, th I think the unfortunate thing is that this became about a personal attack on me as opposed to like talking about the ideas and the questions that I was raising in the piece. Uh, but, you know, I was being accused of, you know, the, the downfall, like when women's sports are no longer, uh, you know, a thing, a, a viable thing in our society, it, it will be my fault. Um, and so, and so I think there are people, uh, Dave, who were concerned, um, you know, that, that their responses were coming from, I want to believe, maybe an authentic concern for the future of women's sports. I received a number of emails from people who uh, claimed to either have, have been an athlete, had, you know, daughters or children who, who um, played sports, they themselves had played sports, or their partner um, or spouse had, had played sports. And you know, so there was a lot of questions around the science. Um, there was a lot of um, uh, people just really invested in the notion of biological difference um, and 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 the kind of um, you know idea that somehow women are are uh, physically inferior to men, which is a question that I really wanted us to to grapple with and think about. Right? What does it mean to advocate for equality when, in order to do so, you have to also assert women's physical inferiority categorically relative to men, um, which has been a justification and legitimation for the exclusion and unfair treatment of women historically in, in the sports world, right? So um, it, it is unfortunate, I think, that those kind of um, interests have aligned in this space, the kind of women's sports advocacy of, of some of those um, individuals. I have not heard from them um, um, personally, but I will say I do think that the kind of um, those that aspect of the women's advocacy space is not the the only voice um, that there are women's sports advocates who do support trans inclusion in sport. I, I myself in, uh, I include myself in that in that group. Um, but th so they don't have the monopoly on the conversation and the discourse and, and the position. Um, and I do believe that those individuals, um, you know, who are women that I admire, women that I've worked with, um, whose work I've, I've um, um, read and has influenced my thinking on these issues, I believe that they're coming from a space of concern about women's sports. I, I do question the motivations of, of the kind of the, the political um, dimension of this in terms of politicians and, and others sort of getting on that, on that bandwagon. Um, now, one of the things that the right wing latched on, and I want to give you a chance to respond to this, is that they said that you were comparing Leah Thomas to Jackie Robinson. Now, first of all, as if they give a crap about Jackie Robinson, that, that's a newfound um, yeah. <laughs> appreciation that they're having for the history and struggles of a Jackie Robinson. 
but I thought it was an inc also an incredible distortion of what you were saying. And I just want to give you the chance to speak about the Leah Thomas, uh, Jackie Robinson part of this story. Yeah, so I was, you know, again, I, I was looking at, you know, Leah Thomas as the first trans woman to win a, a, a D1 uh, NCAA championship. And again, thinking about all the other firsts that we celebrate in sport. Um, you know, this is an 800 word essay, right? So I can't mm -hmm. go through and name all the first, right? But we have a way of somehow marking those that they become significant in some way, whether it's the first woman to call uh, a major league baseball game, the, the first athlete, openly gay athlete, I think I mentioned in the piece, the first openly gay athlete, Jason Collins, uh, to play mm -hmm. in the NBA, the first woman uh, to um, score in a power five, uh, conference football game, um, Sarah Fuller, right? And so uh, I was situating Thomas within this kind of broader sociocultural historical narrative, right? That we um, we often at the time, right, uh, as a society may um, be resistant to embracing those first, right? Or there might be at least a segment of our culture that is uh, that there, there's a kind of a push back or a backlash to those individuals. But throughout kind of history and, and, and social change, right? We often then come to understand the significance and the meaning of those athletes for broader um, uh, social justice, civil rights, women's rights kinds of struggles, right? And and I think the piece also sort of talks about, I cite Howard uh, Bryant's piece on kind of the the way in which the, the history of Jackie Robinson is, is really complicated and uh, uh, in ways that we don't, uh, that don't get captured in the kind of sanitized versions that oftentimes, you know, uh, circulate in, in mainstream um, discourse. And so it was really about getting us to think about how we celebrate firsts, the 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 kind of what what firsts in sport come to mean. Um, they're oftentimes those that are uh, pushing um, uh, against the status quo. They're breaking through barriers, and eventually we come to embrace those athletes as being the kind of trailblazers of their time. And I was just trying to get people to think about this particular moment, as you mentioned, right? It's 2022 you know, 40, 50 years from now, how are we going to look back on this moment? And what is going to be the cultural significance um, of Thomas's win uh, for the kind of broader uh, struggles for um, trans rights and trans inclusion in our society? Mm. The, the other thing that you said that really poked uh, the hornet's nest, and we, we've talked about this, but I want to give you the chance to speak about it, is you said quite explicitly, you know, that Leah Thomas and trans women athletes are good for women's sports. Yeah. And what what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, For me, I, I believe that if we are going to have equality and we're going to have inclusion, we have to have equality for all and we have to include all. I I am I am struggling as again somebody who advocates for uh, women's equality in sports. I just have a really hard time wrapping my head around how can we advocate for women's sports when we are going to say some women can't compete um, or some women aren't allowed to compete. And so for me, it's it's that sort of age old question, right? Or age old sort of um, what's the uh, word I'm looking for? Cliche saying motto, right? That that none of us can be free until we're all free, right? And so um, I think it's good for women's sports because it begins, it, it starts a conversation around um, these larger questions with respect to equality. How do we sustain equality um, in a social institution that's sex segregated? Um, what does it mean? Who gets counted as a woman? Um, and I think that um, particularly in, in, in this instance, what also became apparent to me is that the majority of people, at least the responses that I were receiving, do not see trans women as women. Exactly. Right. The narrative of biological difference relies on situating trans athletes 
within the kind of uh, sex gender binary that they don't uh, identify with or fit into, right? Um, and so I, 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 because of the role that sports plays in our culture, um, in terms of often being a kind of um, uh, place where uh, social progress and social change can happen, uh, I, I, I see this as a really important moment. So I think it's both good for women's sports, and I also think it's good for, um, you know, sort of thinking about these sort of broader uh, questions around social justice um, and social equality more broadly. Mm. Now, why do you think there haven't been more voices defending Leah Thomas? I mean, I think one of the reasons why um, you were attacked the way you were is because you know, the column is so singular. Like if there had been, you know, like our, our, if, if newspapers across the country were saying, let's look at this in a different way. And this is a, a, a right wing assault on one of the most vulnerable populations in our society. I think that the, the back, the fallout to you would have been a lot less. Why, why, why haven't there been more voices in your mind, particularly among people who consider themselves allies? Yeah, I think I, well, you know, I'll say this. I think there, there are voices out there. Um, I think they're just being spoken in kind of spaces that might be adjacent to the mainstream. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, I, I, you know, I think though, if we're, if we're talking about sort of mainstream media, right. Um, uh, or kind of like dominant, uh, media spaces, uh, you know, certainly I, I would agree that I, I think there are, um, uh, very few, uh, voices that are speaking out. And, and in part, I think that's maybe why I wanted to write the piece. I'm not quite sure if I knew that at the time. Um, but I just, I felt like this was an important part of the, the conversation that needed to be included. And I just, I, I myself am very frustrated with the way in which, um, you know, a, a certain kind of narrative um, and, and the sort of conservative voice and the conservative perspective on this issue has really dominated the conversation. And, and you know, for, you know, for all the trolls out there, um, you know, who, who thought that uh, harassing me online was going to get me to shut up, uh, you know, I hate to break it to you. I'm, I'm here. I'm speaking. Um, I, I am going to keep speaking out on this issue. Um, you know, haters going to hate and, uh, you know, you can have your perspective and I'll have mine. And if my perspective causes you to lash out, you know, there's really nothing that I can do about that. I, you know, I don't know, Dave, how much of that, the, the kind of backlash, the online harassment, the uh, calls for me to be fired. To me, I read that as a, a signal, right, that if, if you're going to speak out in favor for trans athletes, this is how you are going to be received. This is how you're going to be treated. And I think it's strategic and I think it's intentional, um, the distortion of the message to begin with. So we're not actually talking about the real issue, but then also the personal attack on me was also strategic and intentional because it sends a very loud uh, and, and powerful message to those who might want to speak out you know, you might want to think twice about it because we're going to come after you as well. Um, and, and, and that's really unfortunate. I think it's dangerous. Um, I'm not quite sure how we live in an American democracy where only one perspective can be seen as patriotic or American. I mean, that was, an, you know, kind of another a piece of this puzzle as well. I was, you know, kind of I, somehow I got a, a I was a communist Marxist, which I'm like, how am I a communist? Like, what does this have to do with Marxism? I'm really confused, or communism for that matter. Well, they'll, um, make, <laughs> they'll figure it out. <laughs> they'll figure it out. Somebody, somebody can figure it out. Yeah, right. So, you know, I think, um, uh, Dave, I forgot what your question was now. <laughs> oh, that's okay. No, no, no. It, it's 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 actually connects with the next question I was going to ask. So it works perfectly. Sure. Go. Um, we're, we're one of the few places uh, that, that that you've spoken to about the column. And I know when we were talking back and forth, one of the things that you were re really wrestling with was about whether uh, further appearances to discuss it could do more harm than good. And I guess I wanted to ask you, um, how you, 
where your head is around that and what counsel do you have for cisgender people who want to stand with trans people without doing harm? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I did really struggle with this and I've been very, um, uh, you know, very um, mindful and intentional about, you know, when and where and how I, I speak on this particular issue. Um, and, and, and felt like this was going to be a good space to have that conversation. Um, cause I trust that, that the show and, and you as a, a journalist are going to do it, the, the, give it the justice that it deserves. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I kind of came to the, the, uh, it, it's not a satisfactory realization, but I just sort of came to the place that, you know, that I can't control how other people are going to react. Um, and I, I do hope that the, um, uh, the conversation helps to clarify, maybe there's people out there who were, you know, I think I'm in favor of this, but everyone in my social media feed is, you know, saying X, Y, and Z about this topic and about this person. And I don't know how I feel. I'm kind of hoping that, that the conversation might help those people better clarify and, and maybe come to, a, 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 a space where they're like, oh, okay. And, and it might embolden them or, or uh, empower them to, you know, speak out on these um, issues and topics in the spaces and places that they can. And it can be just as easy as having a conversation with a family member or a friend. Um, you know, I've been in contact with um, um, advocacy organizations on this. I've been in contact with um, scholars who do this work. Uh, I, I will admit, um, you know, there's there's a way that that kind of online harassment and bullet cyberbullying uh, really can be isolating, um, yeah. and it it's it's I think it's a form of gaslighting, honestly, because I started thinking that I was crazy, right? People were telling me that I was mentally ill, right? Um, but I was like, wait, so did I miss something? Um, you know, am am I off the mark here? Am I like all these? horrible things that people are saying about me. Am I these things, right? Did I not do this the right way? Um, and so I started, you know, kind of hearing from folks that were like, no, <laughs> this is, you know, this is, um, um, you know, what you said is, is uh, you know, we support it. Um, this is an important voice. It's an important perspective that needs to get out there. Um, but it really is a, a kind of, you know, mind fuck, if I can say that, so to speak. Yeah. Um, because you do sort of lose sight of, of, you know, you're, you're kind of moral and ethical and even academic compass in some ways. Um, so I think, uh, you know, being able to have those conversations has been really important and helpful for me um, uh, as a counterpoint. You know, I think in terms of what people can do and how you can speak out, again, I, I you know, I think um, knowing your lane <laughs> and staying in your lane is really important. Um, so I think there's oftentimes, um, a, a desire for folks to help, um, and we want to be allies and we want to be advocates, um, but just knowing that you have to do so in a way that is, um, aligned with what you can contribute. So maybe not stepping too far out of, of what your, your, your lane is. Um, and then also just making sure that when you're doing, um, you know, that work, that you are in conversation with or in partnership with, um, you know, the groups that you're sort of trying to collaborate with and making sure that, you know, allyship is kind of, it, it's important. It's also problematic um, in some ways, but I think we, we do need to have more people speaking out about on this issue. I feel that there is um, a kind of privilege that I have as a cisgender woman um, to, to talk about this issue uh, because my voice might be seen in a different type of way or heard in a different type of way as, unfortunately, and this is not a good thing, right? But, you know, somehow I'm more legitimate because I'm, I don't have a personal tie to this topic, right? Um, uh, so I, I do think that there's, you know, kind of ways that we have to, you know, um, both acknowledge our own social locations and social privileges, also acknowledging what we know and what we don't know and acknowledging, you know, um, you know, the extent to which um, uh, we can in the spaces that we um, work in and live in, you know, try to center those those um, experiences um, 
so that the, you know, again, the, the conversation is not so one-sided, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. So I, I fear I have to ask you, because I ask this to everybody who comes on the show, and you've been super generous with your time. Thank you so much. But uh, uh, any music has given you some relief during this time? You've been listening to anything? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, you know, honestly, and this is going to sound so basic, Dave, but I have to say it. And I know she herself is, is somewhat um, problematic as well, but I'm, I'm a fan. I couldn't help gravitating towards Taylor Swift uh, and the shake it off, her shake it off song um, and the line, you know, haters going to hate, hate, hate. And I just, I found that um, helpful. (laughs) And I know it sounds silly. I am. I swear to God, I'm not, I'm like not a 16 year old girl, although I think I'm a, you know, 50 year old woman trapped in the body of a 16 year old girl or something or whatever the the cliche is. Um, you know, I, I found that really helpful. Music is always um, really great um, in terms of distraction as well. Um, I've been watching Bridgerton. Um, so I've been sort of diving into the Bridgerton uh, season two soundtrack, um, which is also, I think, very bizarre. But, uh, you know, usually I think I tend to gravitate toward, you know, maybe um, like angry music uh, when I'm in these sort of spaces and moments. Uh, but I've just found that kind of maybe more lighter cotton candy fare has been helpful too, just to sort of um, provide me with a perspective that, you know, things, things aren't so bad and we just got to shake it off. <laughs> no, they're really not, especially when you're helping expand the discussion uh, with forward facing columns like this. Hey, uh, Professor Cookie, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. This was terrific. Thanks, Dave, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, we'll be back right after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words. If only Brittany Griner had slapped Chris Rock, then maybe people would be saying her name. The near silence surrounding Griner's unjust detention in Russia has long seemed both sadly predictable and somewhat curious. It's sadly predictable that a sports world awash in NFL takes and that ignores women's sports would erase regular updates on Griner's existence as a political prisoner. Griner is a black queer woman in a league that receives reservoirs of disrespect. The sports world, as often has been said, would be in an uproar if this were Tom Brady. Well, they aren't, and it's damning. The curious part is why Griner's colleagues in the WNBA have mirrored that silence. WNBA legend Lisa Leslie went public with what a lot of us have heard behind the scenes. They have been instructed to keep quiet and exercise personal censorship for the sake of a broader political strategy aimed at securing her release and bringing her home. In an interview released about a week and a half ago, Leslie said, what we were told, and again, this is all sort of passed along through hearsay, but what we were told was not to make a big fuss about it so that they could not use her as a pawn, so to speak, in this situation with the war. So to make it like it's not that important or don't make it where we're like free Britney and we start this campaign and then it becomes something that we can use, end quote. Let's be clear, this is a tactical strategy to not turn Griner into a cause celebre and instead let the expert negotiators do their job. It's also a tactical strategy that is not working. Here are some other factoids that we've learned recently about Griner's plight. Having been arrested in mid-February, she will not see a courtroom until May 18th. Once she enters what will be a kangaroo court, she will be facing a 10-year prison sentence and a number of those years could be spent at a labor camp. A reminder that she was arrested right at the start of Russia's Ukraine invasion at a Moscow airport for the quote-unquote crime 
of having hashish oil in her luggage. One would have to be naive as a newborn to think she will get a fair trial, given the near total absence of diplomatic relations between the US and Russia. That leads to yet another news nugget from the week that was. Confirmation that officials from the US have finally, after weeks, been able to see Griner. The only comment received was, our official found Brittany Griner to be in good condition and we will continue to do everything we can to see that she is treated fairly throughout this ordeal. Russian officials responded to this by saying that Griner has been available to be seen, but that the US hasn't asked, something that beggars belief. Please take a step back from this situation because we are dealing right now with a series of bad choices. The State Department and whatever private attorneys or negotiators are involved have called for silence. No grassroots movement, no international uproar, no upsetting what they clearly see as a delicate situation. Their strategy has brought us to a point where Griner is facing years at a labor camp. The need to switch strategies and the need to let Russia and Putin know that the whole world is watching when Griner finally sees the inside of a courtroom May 18th has never felt more pressing. The time for silence has passed. Brittany Griner is a political prisoner and we need to treat her as such and bring the kind of spotlight and international solidarity that's so desperately needed. It's time to shame and name. We should be shaming the sports press for yapping it up about the NFL offseason 24-7 and pretend that Griner is not sharing a small cell with others in a bed too short for her six foot nine frame. We should be shaming the sports press and the political elites for their heteronormative discomfort in raising the name of a black queer woman with tattoos and a remarkably brave wife. And for those of us who have love for Griner and all she means on and off the court, we need to break the silence. Yes, it's time for the rallies, the hashtags, the petitions, and the press conferences. Does the State Department truly believe that raising up Griner's name will only make the situation worse? How much worse can it possibly get? By raising Griner's name up to the light, at least we have the hope of creating an untenable situation for Putin as he continues a war in search of an off-ramp. It's not just democracy that dies in darkness. Political prisoners quite literally die when their names are swallowed in our throats instead of shouted to the heavens. So free Brittany Griner, bring her home, stop the sports media blackout, and end the tactical silence. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes to some brave souls over at the NCAA Women's Final Four. They are handing out buttons that say Free Britney, and there are people rallying in front of uh, the NCAA Women's Final Four saying, Bring Britney Griner home. Now, these are small actions, but the effort to try to invade a space where they are literally instructing people to not speak about Brittany Griner as part of a failing strategy to bring Brittany Griner home. Well, I'm just, you know, anybody breaking the silence. Because imagine for a second that you're Brittany Griner and imagine that we are able to get Brittany Griner back before she has to spend years in prison. And you're looking for people to thank you're looking for people to thank for raising your name up when you were in the toughest situation of your life. Are you really going to thank people for being silent while you were in prison? Are you going to thank people for the bravery of doing nothing? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So shout out to everybody trying to make sure Brittany Griner's name is part of the weekend at the NCAA Women's Final Four. And by the way, A lot of the media folks there, I can tell you this, 
are not being silent for Brittany Griner out of some respect for the family or for the State Department strategy. First of all, as if the State Department necessarily has their best interests at heart. Uh, but also, the silence comes uh, from the fact that they want the NCAA Women's Final Four to be a media spectacle focused only on what's happening at the court for profit, to grow the sport, as they put it more uh, delicately. And, I mean, that, that to me is shameful. I mean, Brittany Griner is a former uh, NCAA Final Four Most Outstanding Player, uh, led an unbeaten Baylor team to the title. You know, th- th- this is simply wrong. And we need to actually, especially at the NCAA Women's Final Four, be raising up Brittany Griner's name. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down goes to Mike. Shashevsky, Coach K of Duke. By the t- I have no idea if he's going to beat UNC, if he's going to win the title, or if he's going to lose to UNC, uh, beat UNC, lose the title. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm recording this before the game, like just hours before the game on Saturday. I do know this. Mike Shashevsky, don't let the door hit you on the way out. So done with Mike Shashevsky. So done with, uh, you know, the the... The PG-13 version of Bobby Knight that we've had to endure for so many decades. So done with him always finding fault with somebody else, particularly if they happen to be 18 or 19 years old and not taking the weight himself. Just so done. And if you want to know why, I've written about it a lot over the years. So just Google Google it on up. But done with Coach K. Mike Krzyzewski, retirement season, buddy. Sit your patootie down. Now it's time for the part of the show we call Kaepernick Watch, the latest comings and goings with Colin Kaepernick. Some serious Colin Kaepernick news this week. First of all, he has put out through the grapevine that he is willing to take a backup quarterback position in the NFL. That is a turn for Colin Kaepernick, who has been training six times a week for years in case he gets another shot at the league, but has said explicitly, look, I'm not coming back unless it's in a situation where I can start. Now he's saying he wants back in, and that, I think, further puts pressure on the NFL as they continue to sign the Nate Petermans of the world to contracts that there should be a place for Colin Kaepernick in the league. The other Colin Kaepernick news is that he's going to be hosting a throwing exhibition with free agent NFL receivers at halftime of Michigan's spring game. Uh, The event is being sponsored by a Michigan student organization called Wolverines Against Racism. And it's great that there's an anti-racist student group. Apparently, from what I hear, Colin Kaepernick has already addressed the group in a private meeting. But even with all of that, you want to give the credit here to Jim Harbaugh, um, Colin's former coach over at San Francisco for the 49ers, and Harbaugh opening the doors up to Kaepernick. And I got to tell you, it's a savvy move by Harbaugh. This isn't a just stand up or just sit down situation. It's like Jim Harbaugh, who was critical of Kaepernick when he first took the knee, uh, is now posing with him, smiling, giving him a custom-made jersey, uh, having the uh, players pose with him for photos. And these players are over the moon. It's like a rock star situation for them because that's what Kaepernick means to this young generation of players. And if you think Jim Harbaugh is not going to use this relationship when he goes into a living room and is trying to convince a six foot six, 300 pound kid from rural Florida to not go to the SEC, but instead travel to the cold environs of Michigan, then you don't know Jim Harbaugh. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much, Cheryl Cookie. Thanks so much to the producer of this podcast, David Tigabu. If you're out there listening, you got to mask up, please. I don't care what people are saying. Please, please, please stay frosty. Stay safe. We are out of here. Peace.